was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 3 of the Music Dissectors, recorded Thursday, May 4th, 2017. Uh, I'm your host, David Holloway, and with me is a very refreshed co-host, Matthew Powell. How are you, Matthew? Uh, I am uh, feeling refreshed. I, I, I have slept and I have uh, sat by the seaside and I have looked at the ocean. I've seen the curvature of the earth. It's been amazing. And d- you didn't get bored, and this is me projecting onto you, so I, I, I really struggle with the coast in that I tend to go, oh, I'll go and read a book and I'll relax, and I tend to just think of new projects I want to do and, and not relax. I, I manage when I'm away, particularly if I go you know, to the coast and, and to, to where, I, where I went, uh, to kind of shut my mind down a little bit uh, it's kind of the, the the purpose of getting away is to stop thinking about new stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I I actually I manage that. I've I've kind of got the knack of okay, I'm just going to stare at waves, uh, and just watch the ocean for a while. Uh, which <sighs> you need to do that from time to time. I You're recommend right. It. Stare at waves. I like that. It could be a good yeah. name for an album or a band. Stare at waves. Stare at waves. Yeah. It's 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 a thing. It's a thing to do. I went away too early. I uh, was too early for the whale migration. Okay. Um, so, but I needed the break. So, but I'm back now and I'm feeling good. And hey, it's it's uh, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Uh, Happy Star Wars Day. Yeah, you too. And I feel really sad as a, a major Star Wars fan. It's only about three years I've realized that that was even a thing. See, I remember when it was a thing that Lucasfilm didn't approve of. Ah, uh, Okay. And and it was it was great because it was like the fans. It was our own little. We we, we say we say may the fourth be with you. And and Lucasfilm is kind of oh, that's annoying Star Wars Day, but now they put up digital greeting cards and they yeah. sell T-shirts. So that kills it, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem with Lucasfilm. They've turned Star Wars into a big commercial thing. <laughs> um. Now, just to bring it back to music for a minute, and I don't know whether you saw, I tagged you in some social media. Have you seen the Sgt. Pepper's album done with full Star Wars lyrics? I've I've watched the first couple of tracks of that. I think it's beautiful. It's it's it really uh, is a stunning piece of work. It it really is. That that's just it's it's wonderful. I I love it. I haven't had time to listen to the whole way through. No, but, but I will. I will. We will. And um, I, I don't think I'm giving too much away, Matthew, that we are planning, you and I, of doing a special episode some stage in the future talking about that very album. Not the Star Wars version, though. Not the Star Wars version, no, because the, um, the 50th anniversary, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band 
reissue uh, should be out in a month or so. Uh, and I will, of course, be grabbing the super deluxe, uh, what is it, you know, 23 CD uh, <laughs> edition uh, with, you know, two discs that's just Ringo trying to find the right sticks. Uh, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, fantastic. It's, it, it's what the fans have been crying out for. Um, and I, I am looking forward to it like you wouldn't believe. So yeah, one of these days, once we've once we've had a listen to that, we shall we shall go through and we shall have a chat about pepper and I, its importance. Is it the most important condiment or not? And and it'll be just you and I, unless uh, Paul McCartney or even Ringo Starr, if you're listening, um, if you want to join us for that one, we're probably happy to have you on board. Would that be fair to say? You 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 you, you know something. Maybe. maybe I'll say say maybe because I don't know these these those two they have a way both of them of of doing interviews in which they say absolutely nothing. Yeah, but that, uh, that's and, my and, whole and podcasting this, this, career. <laughs> there'll be many, 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 many words, and it'll all be sort of peace and love, peace and love. Um, <laughs> Speaking of peace and love. <laughs> we're, we're about to talk to the killers. A, yeah, well, uh, we're about to talk to a man, and we've already talked to him. Um, and we're going to talk about the killers and and Sam's Town and and the guy that we have on board, uh, Pete Wilson, um, musician himself, successful songwriter himself. And and I promise that this podcast is not always going to be about interviewing musicians and songwriters and engineers. We actually do want to hear from all walks of life about albums they love. It just happens. I'm calling in favours from friends and colleagues that uh, are very kindly helping us out. But if any if any entomologists out there have a favourite album, we're up for it. Yeah, and I'm also acutely aware of the gender balance, so I'm aware that three out of uh, three episodes have been males, and that's not intentional from the from the viewpoint of I do. We do have some irons in the fire with some. Uh, if any lady entomologists out there would like to. <laughs> so, yeah, that, so, that was a terribly inappropriate thing to say. <laughs> still, <laughs> still funny. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're about to talk to Pete, um, which we've already talked to, as I've already said, uh, about Sam's Town uh, from The Killers. So, yeah, have a listen to the interview and we'll be back after that. We hope you enjoy your stay. It's good to have you with us. Even if it's just for the day We hope you enjoy your stay Outside the sun is shining It seems like heaven ain't far away Pete, thanks for joining us. Dave, lovely to be speaking with you. So I feel like I'm a bit of a broken record all of three episodes in. Um, for those that listened to episode two, um, when I was talking to Al Wright, um, I mentioned that we'd known each other for quite a few years. And Pete, you and I have known each other on and off for, I just worked out today, about 14 years all up. Is it 14? Do we, do we, do we get a, a proper date on it? Yeah, oh, yeah, it must be close to that. Yeah, so I haven't had you th- it You'd think after 14 years you'd have had a proper date, wouldn't you? Yeah, look, we don't see <laughs> enough of each other even over those 14 years, to be honest. It's all Facebook and podcasts. Yes, <laughs> today's society. So, yeah, for, for yeah. transparency, um, and I'm going to do a bit of an intro of your piece. Let's think of it as a bit like this is your life. So 
Oh, um, fantastic. Pete, Pete's a musician and he's, in my opinion, a hell of a musician and he was part of – actually, maybe I should ask you to introduce – why don't you do a – this is Pete by Pete. Tell me a bit about yourself. Oh, oh shit. Oh, did, didn't I send you some words on this that <laughs> yeah, made yeah. me well, sound so fantastic? I, let me yeah. start you off. So Pete Wilson yeah. is first and foremost a musician. I might have done that bit. That may not have been your words. That's you. That's yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, formerly of almost famous indie rockers, Lazy Susan. Now, I think you've been hard on That's yourself. That's me. I, I think you're That's more me. than almost yeah. famous. Notable, I would say. Um, oh, notable's good. Yeah, yeah. And now lead guitarist with rock and soul powerhouse cover band, The Pragmatics. Look, yeah, whoever wrote that last one and all of that, you know, is obviously a genius writer. Um <laughs> They're beautiful words. Um, yes, look, they sum me up in a in a uh, rather glass half full kind of way, um, and uh, I, I thank you for for reading them out over the internet for us. And, and just in the briefest way, Lazy Susan were notable. Tell us a bit about the it was ten plus year career of Lazy Susan. Well, yes, I, I think we call it ten plus, and we did have a little revival show a year or so yeah. ago. So. We're, um, yes, uh, late '90s, four albums worth of um, quality indie pop music. I'd like to think, <laughs> um, and I'm sure my my co collaborator Paul Andrews and the various people who sailed on the Lazy Susan ship over those years, including you, Dave, briefly and slightly disappointingly, um, <laughs> we, we, we would uh, say that we we had a good crack at the uh, the title. We were, you know managed to um, fund four albums worth and tour around the country a bit and get played on the radio and sell a few albums and have one hell of a time for that that period. Absolutely. Um, I think you're underselling yourself. Tell, tell us about your biggest support gig. Oh, was it um, was it the Violent Femmes or was it oh, – um, uh, oh, no, it was, no, no, it was, it was Brian Wilson, yeah, it's wasn't it? Brian. Yeah, sorry, I, I shouldn't undersell Brian. He probably does out outrate um, the violent fans. Yes, no, we were very privileged to play at the Enmore Theatre once uh, in a stripped back version of the combo um, with the legendary and mentally unstable genius of of the Beach Boys, and um, it was one of the sort of most wonderful and surreal experiences that you know I think anyone could have. Did you actually get to meet and greet? We did, yes. We were backstage um, at the sort of bowels of the Enmore Theatre in Sydney and um, and he had a sort of a crack squad of young guys um, who were his backing band. But, but Brian was sort of wandering around and he had a, had a piano in his um, dressing room and so he kind of um, wandered around and sort of said hello vaguely to whoever was around. Then he went into his dressing room and... And tinkered away before the gig, and and um, and and became very coherent as he did that. <laughs> sort of like everything, sort of all the synapses clicked into place when he had the piano in front of him, and he was a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more easy to understand. Other than that, he was this sort of vagrant wandering around the bowels, <laughs> just waiting to go back on and onto the stage and being being dragged on there. And um, it, he was quite amazing, but when we saw him play. Um, that it, it, it is that kind of, um, I don't want to say savant thing, but it, it, it very much had that feel about it. And it was, it was sort of, it was very special. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what uh, sort of year would that have been? Oh, now you got me. Um, that was, um, oh, 
when did he, he's toured a few times now, hasn't he? Maybe he has, he has. Six, I'm just six, trying, to, six, trying to remember when he would have done the Enmore Theatre. Yeah, six or seven years ago, maybe. Someone really? will correct us on. So there'll be some Beach Boys nut who'll know exactly what day and the set list and everything. But um, yeah, so I think he's been back a couple. Of, it was kind of that time he was doing. Um, was that, he, used to, he was doing Smile for a while, and then okay. and then come in doing Pet Sounds. This was kind of a bit of a best of from my memory, okay. but we were just happy to be on the Enmore Theatre stage, which I'd never done before, yeah, and absolutely. sort of in the, in the yeah. uh, shadow of greatness. Yeah. Oh, would have been, would have been a terrific show. Indeed, Indeed. Oh, we were brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's that's obviously what I meant. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and and so to the surprise of some of our listeners, we're actually not going to talk about a Beach Boys album tonight. Although um, no. I can see that coming down the track from someone. Um, yeah, I bet. Pet Sounds or one of the other ones. But um, yeah, Pete, you've gone a little bit more contemporary. Um, and to be totally transparent, you provided sort of uh, six or eight great albums that you were happy to talk to talk to. And this is the one I sort of picked from a great list. So I'm. Yeah. I'm partly to blame for that, but tell us a bit about the <laughs> album you've chosen and, and as a start off, why you chose it. Well, yeah, I mean, like any music nerd, like your good selves, Matt and Dave, that, you know, when some, you know, I'm, I'm all for reading about the, the top 100 albums of all time and not the top 100 albums of the 90s or top 100 albums of the 60s. And when someone sort of, you know, puts out, saying, oh, yeah, what's, what's an album that really kind of affected you? Um, it's very easy to sort of uh, default to, okay, I'll pick a Stones album or I'll pick a Beatles album or I'll pick a, you know, Hoodoo Gurus, Stone Age Romeos or something. Um, and I kind of went through a, a, a bit of a, a mental list and as I shared with you, Dave, and um, I, I sort of, I love kind of uh, great debut albums like the Stone Roses album and the, and the, um, the Strokes' debut and stuff. And so I put them on the list and then I thought about, um, oh, some more contemporary, even more contemporary stuff. But but what I came down to in the end was an album that, that I don't believe is in any way a classic um, and is totally flawed in many ways, but an album that did have a had quite a big impact on me at the time. And it is it's contemporary, but it is it's ten years old, and it's the 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 Killers sophomore release, Sam's Town, which came out in two thousand and six. Um, and as we will get to, I thought well it. I wanted something that maybe wasn't totally obvious and we could, you know, sit here and talk about Revolver by the Beatles or something forever, but I, f I feel like that's been done to death. So um, for me, the killer's Sam's Town really sort of gave me a good thwack around the head when I first heard it and um, and was the one that, that, that uh, I'm glad that you that you picked, Dave, as, as something interesting to talk about. Yeah, and, and look, to, to be... Honest, the reason I chose it is because I'm, I'm a bit of a Killers fan. Um, mm. And I'll link to in the show notes a great blog post you did about why you like the Killers and particularly this this album. Um, and mm. it was that blog post and listening to this again that I've come a long way to, to liking Sam's Town more than I did because I, I was very much a huge fan like a lot of people at the time of Hot Fuss, their, their mm. first release. Um, played it to death. Samstown came, bought it on iTunes. I think I listened to it start to finish once and went, yeah. And to be mm. honest, it's just been on shuffle amongst the other 9,000 songs on my iTunes and I've never really listened to it start to finish until the last mm. few weeks, listened to it three times. And I tell you what, it's brought me a long way towards putting it right up there with Hot Fuss. I can see 
see the love for it and why, why it's so, so strong. But as you say, it's flawed. And I know, Matthew, I think you might like to jump in on, on that one. <laughs> I've got a feeling yeah, yeah, that I, 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 I have, all the flaws. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did have a few criticisms. I, I, I will say one thing at this point. You, you made an interesting point that you sort of have an interest in uh, great debut albums. Mm. Uh, but there's also something interesting with this one as it's a sophomore release. I mean, mm. I think that actually looking over a number of bands, a number of acts, um, the sophomore album is often the more definitive as to whether an artist is actually going to have something to offer. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the debut release, you know, the, the, the first album is the one that they've worked on since they were children. It's the one, you know, the, the, the songs that have been going around in their heads for years and years and years, the ones that they've, you know, when they were hungry, when they were looking for a contract, this, yes. this, this is the album that they were putting out as this is their life's work. Mm. Whether they can follow that up yeah. and how they choose to follow that up is, I think, an interesting uh, question to ask of any artist. And a lot of them, you know, I mean, the, 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 the one that immediately leaps to my mind um, as, as a poor uh, sophomore release was, uh, was Julian Lennon's uh, The Secret Value of Daydreaming. Oh, wow, which you 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 may not recall because nobody does, uh, right. where where he basically tried to redo Volat if he right. could because everybody loved Volat it was a huge hit and then Secret Value of Daydreaming was like ah that that again um, and here what the what the Killers have done is they've you know done something that departs from their initial release in a yes. way that's actually quite divisive to the, the whatever fan base they had built up with that initial release, which is a bold thing to do. Yes. Uh, and, I, and, and I think it actually speaks to um, a greater degree of sort of artistic strength uh, and fortitude in terms of their, their confidence in, those, in themselves and their confidence to, you know, this isn't, you know, we're, we're not all about our first album. We're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's interesting. I think that this is interesting from that perspective. Absolutely, Matt. And uh, for me, and, and, and I think maybe I'm the kind of uh, opposite of what Dave said, when I first heard, heard The Killers, I think I heard that song Somebody Told Me or whatever it was, they're sort of one of their first singles, um, and it was all over the radio. And, and I remember at the time listening to it going, that is just so horribly try-hard 80s English <laughs> synth retro bullshit trying to be a bit androgynous and cool and and i, I just i just gave it nothing i just thought that is just that's what I, I just thought that's everything that's wrong with pop music at the moment when i heard that song and so i just gave killers a total totally wide berth and didn't really listen to some of those other things or hot fuss which as we will discover listeners i actually have totally embraced now but um i just didn't give the killers any time of day and then what when I was actually when I was in Lazy Susan, we were touring around, um, you know, some of the great regional centres of Australia, like playing to six people in Geelong or something. And um, uh, the, when they released "When You Were Young," um, and it was all it was everywhere. It was on the radio. It was on Rage late at night. It was it was in the car on the radio when we were driving around. Video hits in the morning when video hits was a thing. And I thought, oh, Killers new song, oh, that's going to be shit house. And um, and I remember we, in the band with um, Danny, our bass player, and Paul Singer, and we'd, we'd hear it every day and go, bloody Killers. And then I think probably by day three or four, we just turned to each other and said, man, this is a fucking great song, isn't it? <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> this is just this is just unbelievably good pop anthem that you cannot deny. It's it's brilliant, and that's that was the uh, the, the triggering moment, as we say these days, when I was triggered onto the Killers. Um, and but as you said, Matt, you know, um, uh, the when I got into the album and look into Samstown more, that it was, um, I think, it's a classic case um, of just the wonderful earnestness and ambition of American rock and roll bands where they, you know, the killers were obviously became hugely big off that first album and they were everywhere. And then, then in a cliched kind of way, they go, okay, we've got to, we got to change what we're doing here and we're going to take this to the new level. I mean, Brandon flowers, when they were releasing the album said that Sam's town was going to be the album that was going to save rock and roll. <laughs> I, I get the impression think, think the man about is that. not short of ego. Exactly, you know. <laughs> and and Brandon, it's no mate. It didn't save rock and roll. Didn't need saving, and that album doesn't save rock and roll any in any way. <laughs> but but the pure the pure gall. It's, it sounded like something you know the Gallagher brothers would say yeah. or Bono yes. or someone you know. Um, but I just kind of love that idea that he just thought that he'd been now handed this kind of. Um, sort of power that he now had to, you know, the, the baton to carry on and save rock and roll, which with great it. power comes great responsibility. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and I, when I was thinking about this, if you read some of the early the reviews, like in Rolling Stone and stuff, they absolutely fucking panned this album. They just thought it was. They just said, sort of, you know, the corollary corollary of what I was saying is that that. Um, these guys are so ambitious and so full of themselves and so full of ego, and they think they're fucking Bruce Springsteen. They should fuck off, which is kind of the, <laughs> the 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 sort of tenor of a lot of the um, reviews, which is hilarious. I, I read somewhere that uh, during the recording, he was he was telling the other members of the band, you know, that we're going to make the best album of the last twenty years. Yeah, and and, and I think that there's there's an extent to which. Kind of did because all the best albums of the previous twenty years, you can hear them there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether this is one of them, but <laughs> he's sampled. He's clearly listened to all the good albums of the previous twenty years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And 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 yes, and 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 I think what the reason I like them, or the reason I sort of sometimes don't like them as well, is that um, they're they're kind of an amalgam of you know, all these great influences. And I think with the Samstown thing, it, it very obviously switched from listening to, I don't know, Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and then listening to Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty or something, you know, and they became very American from originally being very kind of Anglophile. Mm. Yeah. And, and and Dave and I were talking before and you, and you sort of think about the music that was around at the time in, this is 2005, 2006. Mm. And I, I, was, I was looking up, you know, the Hottest 100 and the sort of top singles of the year and all that sort of stuff. And when you look at it, there was kind of nothing going on. There was no defining genre that was mm. – there was no Britpop or grunge or, you know, really good hip-hop that was sort of – Capturing everyone's attention, you know. Augie March was the top of the the highest song on the hottest one hundred, and you know you had, uh, you know, Scissor Sisters and <laughs> Rihanna was around, and My Chemical Romance, and these sort of post emo bands. Like it was, 
it was it was sort of a bit of a shit time for music, I think. It was that the strokes had come and gone a bit, the white stripes were sort of there a bit, Radiohead had gone off being weird and um so it was, it was probably a bit of a vanilla time of music, and 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 this album is in many ways probably fits that because it's it's by no means groundbreaking. No. Um, but the only reason I love it and and well, I love especially six or seven songs off it, and it started with when you were young, was that its attention to just crafting huge pop anthems. Like you two used to do, like Springsteen used to do, like you know, very Queen, others. Queen, yeah, indeed. There's a lot of Queen in it as well. Um, there was a commitment to that, and when they get it right on this, I just think it's it's fantastic, you know. And when they get it wrong, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when they get it right, so I mean, one example you've mentioned Springsteen a couple of times, and mm. anyone that's listened to the first two episodes know that Springsteen's come up every single episode so far. I think, <laughs> right? Because I'm a bit of a rabid fan. But um, yeah. you mentioned um, about the the parallels with Born to Run with when you were young, yeah. and I mean, let's just have yeah. a quick listen to it. Uh, now, so he, here's um, the killers and a particular part of when you were young. And now, now have a listen to um, a section of Springsteen's Born to Run. That blew my mind, Pete, because I'd never picked it. It sounded familiar, so I, I've always loved the song "When You Were Young," and I thought, "Yeah, that sounds familiar." Never picked yeah. it until you'd mention it, and you go, "My God, it's it's a wonder Springsteen didn't sue, except he doesn't need to." But it blew my mind. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's not like Springsteen's riff was that mind blowing to start with. I mean, you know, <laughs> down, 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 down. And um, I think the killer. But geez, the way he used it is good, isn't it? <laughs> It, look, it works, and they use a glockenspiel and everything, you know, and and even the killers, I think, use a glockenspiel on their yeah. version of it as well, and um, yeah, and, and and I think that was kind of, and, and there's another bit in the song too. There's a big descending chord thing, which is also a total rip off, and then lyrically, when he's you know he's cruising down the highway, skywards, and it's all kind of you know, last chance power drive. I mean, he, it, it's 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 almost a. Uh, just a homage to, to Born to Run, and um, which is great. And I, I think at the time, and I was trying to remember too, that uh, I don't know, like Springsteen's all back in vogue now and he's fantastic and, um, and especially, you know, his recent sort of tours and things. But I sort of got this feeling that maybe in the last sort of five, ten years that like there's a time that he pr- probably wasn't that cool, like he was very much of a particular time or a particular yeah. sort of demographic, listen to the boss and – 
And then I think there's a lot of bands or a few bands anyway that started to just sort of name check him a bit. Um, uh, there's a great band called The Hold Steady in America who oh. sort of also did their great take on Springsteen. There's, there's a guy in Australia called I think Perry Keys who did some similar stuff. And then everyone sort of started just sort of saying, oh, actually Springsteen, he's not just a heartland American rocker he you know he was he's a, he's a sort of you know american poet in many ways and you know we need to embrace his kind of his catalog and and use it and, uh, he became a bit trendy again and i think yes. this, this killer's album kind of was part of that so let's let's name check springsteen and that's kind of the cool thing to do and and just mm-hmm. a brief tangent on the hold steady it's funny you mentioned them i, I love the hold steady to bits mm. the first time i saw one of their clips you actually came to my mind pete not as far as the, the singer reminded me of you, not because you can sing, unlike the guy in the Hold Steady who can't sing to save his life. Well, what, what do you call the style he uses? He's a bit, it's, it's really a speaking style, isn't it? It is. It's, it's just sort of passionate speaking, isn't it? And, um, uh, but great, great, great band. Yeah, great band. And great, I mean, they sort of do the kind of barroom, punk rocky sort of version of it all. And he just tells these great stories of, takes sort of some of like the Springsteen characters, Mary and various other people, and, and he puts it in, um, oh, where is he, um, St Paul, Twin Towns in, in uh, Minneapolis or Minnesota. or So it's kind of very, he brings it down to a very grungy level. They're all taking lots of drugs as teenagers and getting fucked up and um, <laughs> but, but applies some of those similar Springsteen narratives to the whole thing and creates a, creates these stories. Uh, first, those first couple of albums especially are just like they're, they're, they're like, they are like books. It's great. Yeah. But um, thank, I do look a bit like Craig Finn just with my hairline mostly. But, um. <laughs> um, and the other one you mentioned was the U2 similarities, Matthew, and, and um, I noticed that uh, Flood obviously co-produced Sam's Town, so there's the obvious thing. Yes. I'm trying, I didn't actually go that far in research. Flood uh, produced, was it Unforgettable Fight? He did a few of their albums, didn't he? He he did, but actually, m- most of the uh, the U two influence that I was hearing um, in Samstown was sort of Joshua Tree era. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. a sort of True. jangly jangly yeah. bit in the rhythm rhythm guitar that reminds me. I, I think it was on um, for reasons unknown. Yeah, that uh, reminds me very much of where the streets have no name. And there's there's a, there's a couple of bits, and and in in the vocal style, particularly later in the album, he sort of he, he changes his vocal style through the album a little bit. I'm I'm not sure whether he hadn't quite figured out, you know, what do I really sound like? Yeah. Um, but the the um, the lead singer uh, Brandon Flowers is, is is vocal style changes a bit through the album, and by the end, he's really aping Bono quite heavily. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. He oh, sort of oh, goes he, that. He, he borrows a falsetto from Chris Martin. Because um, yes. this is this sort of the, the peak of Coldplay, wasn't it? Um, well, that's in, right, yeah. 2005, 2006. Uh, so he's, he's got the, the falsetto that he's taken from Chris Martin, and then he's got the <laughs> thing that he <laughs> gets, from, gets from Bono. Uh, yeah. So he, he hasn't really found his own thing. But, yeah, anyway, 
Well, I mean, I think he, he sort of he started, I think, trying to sound very British and like Morrissey or yeah. or someone. You know, that first album, Hot Fuss, and then then he sort of kind of expanded it to sort of um, taking other people. And and look, I mean, I, I've seen him live a few times, and even though he's, he puts on very a lot of affectations around his vocal side, he's a good singer. You know, he has a, he has a, he's a great sort yeah. of. Depth to his voice and he and a great tunefulness, which sometimes Bono, to be honest, I, I don't think has has had. Bono, He's got Bono, great passion. Bono can't sing. Bono can't no, sing. Right. Just, just, I, I'd <laughs> let's Bono. get it out there straight away. <laughs> let's, get, let's get it out there. Let's just, that, that's not a point on which I'm prepared to argue. Bono <laughs> cannot sing. I'd argue he can't sing now. I think if you like, I, I still mm-mm, watch. Never, never. I, sorry, <laughs> I still watch regularly his performance at Live Aid. Uh, and you you watch his vocal performance at Live Aid, and it it's not up at Freddie Mercury's level. It's the greatest one at Live Aid, but it's it's up there close. Where he does the Ruby Tuesday in the middle of Bad, yes. and that, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Bad, yeah, bad yeah. is the song I'd argue that that Bono was at his very best, and he can't do it now. Or if he did, they'd have to drop it about six. six yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, look, I'll 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 go rewatch the Live Aid performance. But uh, look, you, you look, every, everyone was great at Live Aid because they were so incredibly high. That's, yeah, that's right. Oh, not Bono, <laughs> not Bono. No, no, not Bono. No, no not Bono. <laughs> You're right, right. Um, now let's talk song construction without getting too deep a bit. So, um, the, you know, you've written a bunch of songs yourself, Pete. What, what is it about the songs of Sam's Town that particularly hooked you? Was there anything specific, or it was just the, the whole package? Well, I mean, it's it's fundamentally annoying as anyone who's ever tried to write a song. Um, and, of course, the old cliche that, you know, the best songs are the simplest and all that sort of stuff. The, the, the songs in my current band, The Pragmatics, we do a version of When You Were Young, when, um, when you were young. And, um, you know, it is a four or five chord sort of just roll around that doesn't change a great deal then the big sort of born to run rift kicks in when you were young and then you keep going through that again and the slight middle eight there's nothing absolutely nothing to it in, in terms of a you know any cleverness with with the songwriting it's just sort of brutally simple and um relying on the the emotion and the build of the song as much as any kind of clever melodies um, but what I think Brandon Flowers does and the band does is they almost like sort of, uh, you know, the way a lot of pop songs are written these days, that there's almost a commitment to having a hook every 30 seconds. You know, yeah. mm. Whether it's a, a guitar riff that you sticks in your head, like when you were young, you know, the line, he doesn't look a lot like Jesus, just sticks in your head straight away. You know, it's just such a, I don't know what he means, but, you know, he's talking about <laughs> And and and, the, and and that sticks in my head, you know. And if you, even through some of the other songs, like for reasons unknown, and you mentioned before, um, uh, uh, or you mentioned for reasons unknown, and um, read my mind is a, is a glorious song as well, mm. where there's these these riffs, and sometimes, it, and if you listen to, I reckon, if we go back to the born to the born to run riff theory, I reckon that riff pops up about four or five times across a lot of other songs on that album. Read my mind, bones. It's that four or five note riff done in mm. slightly combinations, maybe with a synth, maybe with a guitar, um, and you don't notice it that it's it's pretty much the same riff, but it just sticks in your head straight away. 
Um, so in terms of songwriting, it, it, it's by no means sort of incredibly revolutionary, but it just, to me, it feels beautifully, and I, I don't know the, the basis for it. Brandon sort of gives the impression that he's some sort of poetic genius around the way he writes songs. To me, it feels beautifully crafted music um, that maybe has had input from producers and everyone else to sort of say, well, that's all very good, Brandon, but we could tighten this up and turn this into a into a killer anthem. Yeah. Um and to me, I, I'm always so impressed with with bands or songwriters who can do that because it 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 um you know it, it goes back to I think you know some of the old days of like the Brill Building and Motown and some of those labels and Phil Spector and stuff where you know let's create symphonies for teenagers type thing where I don't really care what it's it's almost sort of you know focus group tested you know what do the kids want to hear we're going to sing it back to them so they're just you know, loving it and lapping it up. And musically, what can we do to make sure that your attention never goes away from the song? Because yeah. there's, there's something coming up. It might be a drum fill. It might be a, a riff. It might be something that just keeps you in there all the time. And I love that sort of stuff. I think it's so clever. Absolutely. So so listening, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, I think before we started recording that you listened to it end to end for the first time in a while. I know it's the first mm. time in a long while that I have. What what what's your impression as a as a unit of that album now? I mean, it's certainly got a it's got a narrative right through it. I, I think mm. it's been quite clear that it's about you know Brandon Flowers talking about all the things that led to him getting where he got to at that stage. But you know, yeah. how how does it sit for you as a as an overall album? Well, I mean, I kind of love the idea that they were obviously sort of pitching as a sort of concept album of some description. So Sam's Town, I think it's based on a bar in Las Vegas or something. Yeah. So they're from they're from Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and so there's that there's that what they call the the uh, interlude and the exit lude of the song. So there's a kind of we hope you will join us on our show. And yeah, Any, anybody ever heard Sergeant Pepper? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's just horrible, isn't it? Um, and so, subtle, subtle homage, isn't it? Yeah. I know, subtle homage. And I, I don't know why they did that. And but it, it, and like all the great concept albums, and Sgt. Pepper's is a great one, is that what starts out as a concept album is not a concept album whatsoever. So, you know, McCartney sort of said, oh, let's pretend we're a different band and we'll record an album as a different band. And like, yeah, it was great. Let's all grow moustaches and wear funny suits. And, of course, the greatest thing about Sgt. Pepper's are, you know, things like She's Leaving Home or, you know, A Day in the Life, which had nothing to do with the Sgt. Pepper's concept at all. Three, and three tracks in, we give away that, uh, that whole idea, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that Samstown maybe being, maybe being, you know, sort of a uh, – authentic to the Sgt. Pepper's model sort of tries that mm -hmm. as well and then totally falls apart because the best songs on the albums are uh, as well as When You Were Young but things like Read My Mind and For Reasons Unknown are very personal, typical relationship-based songs, you know, where are we, I love you darling, what's going on, where am I as a man, I'm trying to work out where I am in the world. It's got no connection to Samstown or Las Vegas or whatever, the American well, dream. Does it? Or does it? Or does it, Matt? Maybe you've seen something, heard something that I haven't. <laughs> but maybe isn't what what am I doing? Where am I now? Where am I going? Isn't that really what Las Vegas is all about? Possibly. Look, I have never been to Vegas, um, <laughs> no, no. so I, I don't want to. 
What I do like, though, and the other thing I kind of like is because Brandon was brought up a Mormon in Nevada, and, mm-hmm. and when you read the, I remember reading the press at the time. That was all kind of all interesting. My God, this sort of conservative Mormon guy is sort of singing these songs that sound either like you know Duran Duran or Bruce Springsteen or something, and um, I. And he's done it on other albums as well, where he's sort of, you know, trying to kind of expose the gritty world of Las Vegas and stuff. There's a song on there called Uncle Johnny, um, mm. which is is pretty rubbish. And it's it's very sort of, what's the great line? Um, when everybody else refrained, my Uncle Johnny did cocaine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, man. You know, that's oh, edgy shit right there. He convinced right in his brain that it helps to take away the pain. Oh, the two of the worst, <laughs> two, two of the worst lyrics ever written, and, <laughs> and, and, and so when he tries to be gritty and like I'm, you know, trying to be like Lou Reed talking about New York or something, he fails dismally, t- totally fails. It's only when he gets all personal and introspective, like a lot of great songwriters, that that's where the emotion comes out and it's where the I think the sort of um, the songs come out much better. We we should have a whole episode on worst lyrics. I just do want to throw in another contender for that, and that's you from a similar era. Remember the Desiree song "Life." Oh, yeah. And there's this great there's this great part where I don't want to see a ghost. It's a sight that I fear most. I'd rather have a piece of toast and watch the evening mm. news. Wow! So and throw that in. <laughs> doesn't doesn't David Brent quote Desiree a bit in the office? <laughs> he probably. There was a scene where he quotes uh, her, yeah, similarly. Yeah. Well, for those that haven't bought the Life on the Road album, you need to do it. It's absolute brilliance from start to finish. It's probably worth a look, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Just... While, while we're throwing out favourite, uh, you know, bad lyrics, I, let me just mention Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. uh, and on, on, a, on a Beatles song. Okay, so I'm not I'm not talking sort of post Beatles when he seemed to forget. Not a right. shit solo record, but yeah. No, no, no we're, we're not going to go for the girl is mine. I'm a lover, not a fighter, or any of that stuff. No, uh, but but um, all together now, uh, black, white, oh. green, red. Can I take my friend to bed? Pink, brown, <laughs> yellow, orange, and blue. I love you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's that's Paul McCartney, the most successful songwriter of all time. Was was he off his face? I don't know. Well, yes, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. I'm the walrus, is it? Really? It's. it's... No. No. It's, no. It's not up there. Not up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's wondering you didn't that one on Ringo. Well, he also wrote a great song called "Temporary Secretary." If you ever want to. I uh, love "Temporary Secretary." Yeah. Which. That... It mixes all sorts of things that maybe require another podcast. Yeah. Well, well, one, of the, one of these days we'll talk about McCartney too because that's, that's an album. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the killers amongst, and you've already mentioned the Hold, hold Steady, Pete, but in the blog post that I'll be linking to, you, you, you know, in your, your rating of the best bands of the 21st century at the time of writing were The Strokes, The Hold Steady, The Killers and The Drones. So place the killers yeah. amongst those other three. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I, I did write that blog a while ago when I was when I was young, and um, and uh, although I think I think they kind of stand up pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I I suppose if you start with the Drones, which are, is a great Australian band that 
that you know is the is probably the most intense, difficult listen you can have in sort of I think in modern music without getting too obscure. I mean, they're they're guitar based, punky, discordant, dystopian chaos um, that starts somewhere with a you know the birthday party and goes up. Uh, and so they're they're not the the band you listen to when you just want some background music while you're cooking dinner or you know <laughs> read, reading the paper. You, you have to sort of sit down and focus on it. On the other sort of, and I would say on the other extreme, the Killers are the sort of band you could um, you can sort of almost put on any occasion. You know, you could, you can. I've got a great Killers playlist of about 15 songs across their four albums. It sounds great at the gym, sounds great when I come home, sounds great on the train, going to work. You know, it, it's it's sort of – it's very pleasing music. Um, and the Strokes, I think, like we talked before about the great debut albums, mm. um, and to me, Is This It, when it came out, and that was 2000, I think, 2001. Um it's it's and I think Matt mentioned it before. You know, it's you've had ten years to to bring forth this perfect piece of um, equipment that you've been working on. But but not all bands get that, of course. But I think mm. that album just is is perfect. Um, that it's kind of just they their sound, their songs. There's no fat on it whatsoever. There's no dud songs like Sam's Town. There are dud songs. Whereas is this is this it is perfectly sort of formed. Um, and of course, they've tapered off. They were never going to, never going to maintain that sort of brilliance. You know, you did, they were just they made a rod for their own backs, unfortunately, because it was never going to get that good. And then the whole steady, I find that sort of, you know, the the great narrative songwriting stuff and the energetic sort of often cliche-ridden bar band seventies rock. Yeah. Punk stuff as well. I think it's great. So I, I didn't answer your question. So we're. I, I, oh, no, I, I think you place them well. I, I, I don't sort of have a pecking order, but I, I still sort of maintain that those four bands probably still are, even maybe ten years after I wrote that blog, um, the best bands of the twenty first century. Maybe mm. who, who's, who's beat them? Maybe someone's beaten them. Mm. I can't think right now. Anyone? Any suggestions? Mm. <laughs> no. Look, I, Honestly, I think it's a pretty solid group there. Um, my myself, I would probably place Coldplay there, but then, sure. you know, uh, that's I have sort of more pop oriented tastes, perhaps. Yeah, uh, and well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Just that they have been, well, they've been in pretty dominant for seven eight. Yeah, look, when 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 they came, when they came out, I I felt like they were going to be a flash in the pan. They have sure. hung around, which I think. Has helped me to appreciate them more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like I'd, I'd probably rank Coldplay in there amongst the best bands of the 21st century. To, to keep the, to but keep I'm, the, I'm um, having a lot of trouble uh, thinking of anybody else, frankly. I, I mean, I've got one. I'll throw in to keep in the 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 all the bands starting with the. I, I'd probably swap out the Drones for the Panics. The Panics. Yeah, I don't know whether you know Australian the band the yeah, Panics. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, right. Very. Yeah, total opposite to the drones, but yeah, yeah just that real. Uh, I'd argue they're the Triffids of 2010. Now that's a big. Wow. I'm probably giving the panics mm. too much credit there. Well, they are Western Australian, aren't they? Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there was that great song "Don't Fight It" that I used to love, and oh, then yeah. that first song, um, 
Give Me Some Good Luck, whatever it was, one of their first singles, which I think is beautiful. It, it, it had a lot of that kind of Stone Roses jangle to it and, yes. and, and lovely things too. But, yeah, that's a, that's a big call, Dave. That's oh, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of I'm stepping back the whole Triffids comparison now. I think that's too big a call. So, well, the, the it, so it, it, it did seem ambitious. Yeah. Because, I mean, we haven't had this discussion, Matthew, but my two dream albums, I'm hoping someone will come on and want to discuss. One of them's Born Sandy Devotional from the Triffids. Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we can leave Oh, mate, mate. I, I was, it was probably in my sort of top ten list of ones I was going to send to you. So, look, next time. Well, I'll come, next come time. back next week. Yeah. Um, now, we, we mentioned you're playing a uh, pretty – successful covers band pete and um i'll let you define what successful is <laughs> as a covers band musician myself um yes but and you i was going to ask you which killer song you play but you've already told us so you do play when you were young yeah we do um not every time it's one of those for the moment sort of songs because a lot of our music is sort of a little bit more probably earlier yeah. 60s 70s sort of base but but what the playing when you were young and again sort of coming back to the songwriting stuff or the the performance of, of these sorts of songs um it's a very simple song there's really you know it's nothing much to it um danny our singer does a great job singing it but it's one of those songs that you have to be on so there's no swing to it right yeah. there's no you have to get every chord change you have to get that guitar riff right every time it's not like playing a Stones song or a Credence Clearwater Revival song where you can go in and off the beat and you can flub a few things and it all sounds really groovy, whereas something like when you were young, um, you know, sort of coming from that 80s sort of world of great production and click yeah. tracks, everything else, you have to be on it and you have to just get it right. Otherwise, if, if you do flub it, it loses all its power, you know what I mean? And um, so yeah, so that, that, that it's, it's quite challenging to play, you know. Which um, which on on when we first thought of the game, oh, we could knock that off, no problems. That's yeah. it's, a piece of, it's actually quite a hard song to play. And does does it get as good a reaction as the Pina Colada song? Uh-huh. Depends which audience we've got. Depends sort of if they're the uh, under forties or over forties demographic, <laughs> Dave. Um, uh, the great thing too about you know we think about sort of ironic things that the killers and other bands of that genre the, the, there's no irony involved in what they do there's the, the earnestness which which they do stuff and you two did that well for, for a lot of time until I did yeah. Acton Bank but um, the killers are very much iron, irony free and I think when from an Australian perspective especially when you play in Australian indie bands and and the like. Uh, where there's you know a bit of a tall poppy syndrome, there's a bit of a self-deprecating thing, which often makes some Australian bands really great, you know. Um, and you look to someone like the Killers, or even look to you know Oasis in their prime, or other bands who are just so fucking full of themselves. Um, and you know the Australian reaction is like, oh, you bloody poses. But really, I I kind of admire it because I just think. You know, in Australia, you don't. We don't do that um, no. very well at all. That's p- part of why we're good, but it's also part of, mm. you know, except to say, like in excess. I can't think of an Australian band that has that sort of pomposity about them. No, it's true. Um, even no. Midnight Oil have a sort of a groundedness to them, you know, and um, Cold Chisel or whatever. So um, that's something I, I, I loved about 
what the killers do because it's, it feels like a world away from what I was doing in the bands I was playing. And it, you know, indie rock is quite conservative in many ways because you know, the, you know, the sounds you make and the sort of styles you um, try to sort of emulate. A, you know, you've got to play a Telecaster through a Vox amp because that's what we're all doing at the moment. And it's got to sound like television or it's got to sound like Huda Gurus or it's got to sound like REM or whatever, you know what I mean? And you just say, well, no, I want this to sound like um, Cheap Trick or I want this to sound like, you know, Motley Crue, then no, that's ridiculous because we're an indie rock band and know your place type thing. Whereas I like the, the sort of ambition of bands like The Killers who just go, Okay, all of a sudden we're Bruce Springsteen. I don't know why, but all of a sudden we are. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 would, I would love it if somebody would come along that just wanted to sound like something new. Mm. Well, that's – yeah, exactly. And, I think you know, it's pop will eat itself and it's sort of – we're just feeding off ourselves. I don't know where you – probably in the 21st century, it's probably hard outside of hip-hop to – you know, find someone yeah, doing right. something new or innovative to a point of like, yeah. you know, the first time you heard the Ramones or the first time you heard, you know, insert band. Um, uh, and, you know, I think it's where we're at. But I don't know what you think, Matt. What's the most sort of innovative new thing you've heard in the last 10, 15 years? It's hard, isn't it? That that that, re- that really is hard. Because yeah. like everything, if you if you go back a decade, the you know what what I've heard that's actually kind of really grabbed me has all been stuff that it grabbed me because it sounded like stuff I already knew. Like yeah. uh, I I loved uh, the White Stripes Elephant, for instance. Yeah, sure. No, but that's that that that's a great album. Everything on it is a great album. There's there's not a dud track on there. Oh, okay. Uh, into the cold, cold night. Um, but um, but everything everything on there is really really good. But it sounds like it was recorded in 1968. You know? Yeah, that's right. It sounds uh, like um, Led Zeppelin outtake or something. Or yeah, uh, or yeah. What, was, what was the um, oh, what was the one from Foo Fighters about ten years ago? Uh, in your honor, right? Uh, with the, the the rock tracks and acoustic stuff, and it's like. Uh, we can do everything, and Dave Grohl is uh, the 21st century McCartney, whatever. Mm. Uh, you know, amazing album, but nothing new on it. You know. Um, yeah. Well, but but the thing is, I mean, do, do we are we craving something new, or do we just need quality? Well, I, I suppose. I mean, the the quest, the question was. You know, what have you thought? Well, this is something new, and I, I don't think there is because the things that have grabbed me haven't sounded new. Mm. And but I, 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 I'd like to think that there's still room for innovation. Yeah, I'd like to think that you know the, the the great music of you know ten years ago isn't going to be great because it sounds like the great music of now. No, I or mean, it, it sounds like the great music of 1968. I mean, mm. you raise you raise a good point, Pete, about quality as well. Because one of the things that annoys me most, and you probably cop this as do you, Matthew, that people say there is no good music anymore and it tends to be people that grew up in the 70s and 80s still listen to that predominantly. I mean, on the musicweek.net, at risk of sounding like a self-promo, I mean, I have a whole tab there with just a Spotify playlist of great songs I've stumbled across that is brilliant music put out in the last 10 years. So I think there's definitely quality there, but, yeah, the innovation, I think it is a struggle. 
Mm. Yeah, but it, I mean, I, when I was again thinking of albums for this show, and I suppose if you think about, if I think about the last two or three years of albums that I've really, really got into, and in no particular order, but there's there's a band called Car Seat Headrest, um, who's this young bloke from Seattle. Um, very clever guy, and he is basically he put an album, Teens of Denial, which is almost like a best of of '90s grunge and slacker indie rock, right? So it's it's Nirvana, it's Pavement, it's it's all that sort of stuff that I don't listen to much anymore, to be honest. I, I enjoyed it at the time, but I don't listen to it anymore. But this guy has captured that the essence of that and turned it into mm-hmm. something that is uh, not just a total rip off. Um, he's a great songwriter too. The lyrics are great, and you know the musicianship is great. But in terms of the genre, he's just—it's just, it's a, it's a pure um, steal. And then there's like a band like The War on Drugs, who I love as well. Mm. Uh, and that album, um, Lost in a Dream, you know, it was '80s Dylan and Tom Petty and Dire Straits and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It was not innovative at all, but it, it, it did bring a lot of it found all the right sounds and styles and put into something that was pretty compelling. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Was it new or was it just really good quality music that you can't you can't ignore? You know what I mean? And I know mm. they're Flavour of the Month at the moment or Flavour of the Year, but King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, I don't mind oh, a bit I, of either. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to it. Did, did you just make that up? Their name is... <laughs> no, it's, they're, they're true. And um, I, I, I've, I've never heard of them. Uh, worth a look, Matthew, and particularly the clips. They make their, their dirt cheap budget clips, but some of the best video clips I've seen in years. Yes, they're, they're very funny. Yeah. So. I looked this up. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Lizard Wizard. It all rhymes. <laughs> it does, like toast and ghost. <laughs> that, that, that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we might have covered about as much of the killers as – I mean, I think it's fair to say we we all – admire them for what they are uh derivative is definitely a word that can be applied but they do it they do it in a way that oh, for, for my example didn't even pick up with the born to run stuff so i just sucked it up without thinking about it well that's so, that's probably to, to their credit that they got away with it that even like a good springsteen fan such as yourself dave didn't uh, immediately call them out as uh, thieves yeah that's that's right <laughs> so like, and, and I, 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 as I think I mentioned, I, mean, I, I listened to this album uh, a, a few days ago, and you know I listened to it again last night to refresh my memory of it for this. And you know, by, the, by that sort of run through last night, I was saying to David before, uh, you know, I, I wasn't even really hearing the Killers anymore. I was just hearing source material. Just okay, like, yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that that sounds like the Cure. That sounds like U2. Yep. That sounds like Springsteen. Yep. There's a little bit of Coldplay there. You know, for 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 me, yeah, okay. The, it's a it's a good album. It, it, I think the structure of it holds together well. I think that repeating riff that you mentioned that does show up in like four, maybe even five tracks, mm. uh, does help sort of structurally hold it together as a cohes- coherent narrative. Mm. Uh, probably more so than the lyrics do because the lyrics are terrible. Um, oh, the lyrics are horrible. Yeah, but uh, you know, I all all I'm hearing is is the influences. Sure. You sure. know, it it yeah, I I couldn't connect to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and like, I totally get that. And, and as I said um, at the beginning, you know, it, it it was an album that, as as a lot of a lot of albums do, 
that hit you at the right time and right place, you know. So as I said before, I thought the killers were rubbish and then sort of I got When You Were Young and 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 then I became a huge, the other two albums after that I'm very big fans of as well. And I, I, it, it sort of hit you at a time and I don't know, it wasn't like I was in any sort of emotional time in my life, but the, the timing was perfect for me to just go, oh, I really want to really dive into this kind of lovely sort of slightly superficial derivative anthemic pop music maybe i don't know what i'd mm. been listening to before maybe i needed sort of some kind of um fresh air out of listening to eskimo joe or something i'm not sure but, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so, so it's so but, but, I, but matt yeah i think you're totally right because any kind of analytical sort of uh review of it could pull it apart um, I, I suspect it's an internet. album that would that would really benefit from being heard live you know i think i think well, that yeah, anthemic yeah. thing it's there to drive an audience and sitting down on your own and listening to it. I feel like this isn't the experience that this was designed for. Sure. And look, I mean, having seen, I've seen that three times and um, my most uh, fun time, almost sort of interesting time is I was, I was in Beijing in China and, and um, they were playing and, and I was playing, and I thought they were playing, and I thought, well, I've just got to go out and see. You've got to see the killers in Beijing. It just feels so weird and fantastic. It just has to be yes. done. And, um, you know, it costs millions of dollars to get tickets, and it's very hard to get tickets, and it's all, it's all very hard. And I I kind of um, – I was there with my family, and uh, I envisaged that they'd probably be playing in some Olympic stadium to 50,000 people. That was my kind of view of it, you know, that – huge middle-class Chinese people wanting to go and see great Western pop music. And it took me, um, took us about two hours to get a, the metro across town because Beijing's so fucking big and to, to the venue. And we got there and it looked like a fairly biggish venue. But then we got sort of um, shuffled down into this room, which was probably not much bigger than the size of the metro in Sydney in the end. Which they've and played. Yes, which I saw them in the metro as well. So I it was very ribbons for that. that one. I was so angry. Oh, mate. That's the one I tried for. Yeah, it needs mm. to be part of the victims, which is the fan club, by the way. The mm. um, anyway, just, just to finish the Beijing story. So, we, so it wasn't a fifty thousand seater at all. It was probably about a two th- or three thousand seater, and it was all seated. It was all a bit sedate, and they'd run out of beer at about nine o'clock, and it was all a bit <laughs> fucking frustrating. Anyway, they came on, and to your point, Matt. And it was a bit after Sam's Town, but they played a lot of the Sam's Town songs. And they just pushed that sort of anthemic thing right to the roof, even to a smallish crowd. Um, and the the great thing about it, I was with my brother-in-law who speaks Mandarin, and um, apparently when you uh, if you're a youngish person in China and you want to sort of – the equivalent of saying something's awesome or cool is to call it the cow's vagina. <laughs> And I, I, I don't know how he said Mandarin. Right. Like, uh, anyway, I don't know these. But so he just turned to me and said, "Look, they're all sh- they're all shouting out the cow's vagina at Brandon Flowers and the Killers because <laughs> they're loving it so much." And I thought, well, yeah, it's the cow's vagina. It was the show was the cow. It was the ducks nuts. It was the dogs bollocks. It was the cow's vagina, and live the Killers just you know pulled that off brilliantly. And. And there's some great videos, obviously, like everything on on YouTube. And their Royal Albert Hall performance mm. in 2009, um, you can see a bunch of the songs from that. And it's yeah, it's just stunning stuff. What um, to get 
to get all TMZ and and um, <laughs> superficial for a minute, what what struck me is I looked at a bunch of live videos. The 2009 Royal Albert Hall, Brandon Flowers and Dave Kooning and the whole band look, you know, relatively young, fit. Mm. Fast forward to a show I saw them play 2016 and poor old um, Mark Sturmer or Stormer on bass and, and Ronnie on drums. It, the years haven't been kind to those two. We've let them go, have they? Let it oh, go. I, I'm talking the bass player going from a, a really svelte, long-haired dude to a gobbledock in six years. Oh, no. oh, no. oh there, but for the grace of God, go I. Oh, look, and, and I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not an attractive man, but... <laughs> you sell yourself short, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. You guys well, really need to have that date. <laughs> we do. We do need to have that <laughs> But you think they've been they've been going for so Samstown they had an anniversary of the Samstown record in Las Vegas in 2016. That's right. They mm. put billboards up and all that sort of stuff and had big concerts and stuff. So they've been going since what 2003? Yeah, 15 years or something. Oh, actually, 2001. I'm just looking, 2001. So yeah, it's recent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, oh, I wonder. Oh, but Brandon's, he's, it's kind of like Dorian Gray, Brandon. He's got sort of that sort of movie star look, the nice yes. white teeth. He, he's probably never had more than two beers in his life or smoked a cigarette or done drugs or he's, just, he's got the Mormon faith in his family and, you know, this being a pop star. So Bastard. good on him. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, Pete, I think, you know, that's a pretty damn good treatise on Samstown. Are we sort of halfway through now? We've got another hour in us? Or? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, we could talk about anything you want, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll stay here all night. Oh, look, now you guys have got, you've probably got other, other podcasts to put together. I, 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 I have children to put to bed, so I <laughs> probably can't stay much longer. <laughs> no, but, no, thank you, Pete. That, that was absolutely brilliant. And um, look, down the track, we may get back and, and talk some um, Triffids or... Um, stones or something. Oh Lord, okay, yeah, that's going to be a big one. Yeah, look, I mean, let's let's just sort of take a breath. Um, I really appreciate having a, a very self-indulgent chat with you guys about this because it's just stuff I could talk about all day. So um, I really, really thank you for the opportunity. It's been fantastic. So there we have it. That was Pete and Samstown and the Killers. So. Um yeah, a bit of a wide-ranging discussion there, Matthew. I had a hell of a time. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, th- I feel like I've set myself up for some hard future episodes, particularly with the Triffids, but um, we'll, we'll give it our best shot. So, <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you keep setting me up for this. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to some Triffids now, am I? Great. Yeah, and, I mean, you may or may not. Have you ever listened to the Triffids? Yes. I, yeah. Look, yeah. A long, 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 long. I was younger then. Yeah. <laughs> When you were young, oh, that was nice. It's, work. it's, it's funny we, we we kept mentioning that song, you know, when when we were young or when you were young, and every time we said that, I, w- I was thinking of the animal song when I was young. Oh, yep. So, so when you were young, da 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 da. Dear oh dear, yeah, sorry, it's the wrong song. Yeah. I, I am an old man. I think that's the problem. I'm old. Uh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. It's yeah, I get quite <laughs> distressed by that. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think that was great. We, we're going to um, probably l- wrap it up there for the night, actually. But um, I just, I, if, just can, I, can I just say one thing? If, if, any, uh, if any female entomologists were offended by any remarks that were made at the beginning 
of the podcast. Uh, I do apologize uh, for my um, flippancy. Flippancy. And Matthew's I, been partly sincere about that. The other part of it is I, I did have a word with him. Um, a big part of our advertising demographic is female entomologists, so I can't afford to lose the revenue. Yeah, I, I've been cha- I've been chastened. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're we're going to be back in in a few weeks. We've we've got a few more more guests lined up. Um, but in in the meantime, if you'd like to offer an opinion, suggestion, or even offer yourself up as a guest to review an album you love, please do feel free to email email us at contact at themusicweek.net or visit our Facebook page, Music Dissectors. So that's just facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Um, all three of the episodes, including this one, are on iTunes, and it, iTunes is actually working now, which is a bit exciting. Uh, uh, the, the, the graphics appeared. At, I won't even start on what a, a rigmarole that was, getting all that working. And we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn, and all episodes are on our website anyway at themusicweek.net. So, Matthew, thank you again. Um, really appreciate you being involved, as always. Thank you. It's always fun. Um, so, as I mentioned, we'll be back in a few weeks with... It's an interesting guest who hasn't chosen their album yet, so we're as much in suspense as you about that, but I think you'll find him a very we're, we're, we're not. We're not, we're not in quite as much suspense because we know who the guest is. That's right. <laughs> Just not the album. Just not the album. <laughs> but it's going to be fun. It will be. And in the meantime, uh, find a new album to love. Good night. Nighty night.